you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Around the NFL Podcast has plenty of arm talent. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast presented by the United States Marine Corps. My name is Dan Hansis. I'm joined in a room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. You know what? I was just saying before the show, and I'll repeat it here. We were talking right before the show started. Kai Forbath back in the league, kicking for the Patriots tonight. Um, and we were trying to remember who he's played with over his uh, distinguished NFL career. And then uh, Wes made a comment that, and now he kicks for the future division round losing Patriots, mm. uh, which made me reflect on what's been a terrible NFL season. Yet another one for me. Almost every year I've worked here has been just lost, embarrassing jet seasons. But I'll, what I get out of this season, no matter what, even if the Patriots win another Super Bowl, Wes off Patriots corner, off the hill, and he is on the right mm. side of history now. <laughs> and, and for that, I'm grateful as we exit the Thanksgiving season. I don't know about rights out of history. We'll see about that. Right. I mean, it, it would be great to kind of button up this point by saying, Andy got his lock right by picking against the Patriots. But we're going to have to tease that result nice tease. at the very end of the show. Although people will, well. I get you know, it. Whatever. Get it. But but it's nice, Wes. I love having you I'm, with me. I'm happy to be of service in, <laughs> in make, your court. All right. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> All right, and Mark's uh, Mark's headphones are off. And that's fine. That's that's all right. We that's have fine. we have your sound drop anyway, so we can we have you covered. If there was ever a football Sunday where you could, I'd have no problem with you just oh, yeah. dropping me off stage left. That would be this one. Hey, like the Browns today, his microphone didn't show up. You know? Oh, oh no. <laughs> it's not inaccurate. Um, all right, so a lot to get to. Week thirteen, uh, and yes, as we said, this season has now started. Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick taught us. So let's get into games as, as now we it's the mad fight begins uh, for playoff positioning and teams trying to get in the back door of the playoffs. It's a lot of fun this time of year. So why don't we start with uh, perhaps the game of the year and a Super Bowl preview? Justin Tucker for the winner from 49 yards. Snap is good. Kick on the way. It is long enough. 
And the kick is good. The time has come off the clock. The Hayes in the barn. And the Ravens take down the 49ers. And this house is on fire as the Ravens <laughs> celebrate at midfield. Justin Tucker, his 15th game-winning field goal. And Thanksgiving weekend in Baltimore ends with one more thing to be thankful for. Oh, Jerry Sandusky. Oh, yeah. The party is raging at Kicker Club. And we ain't going home till the sun comes up. Justin Tucker, we call him King Leg, kicked a tie-breaking 49-yard field goal through the cold and the wind and the rain as time expired, giving the Ravens a 2017 win over the Niners. Wes, the Ravens had been nuking teams with bombs dropped from above during their epic winning streak. On Sunday, we saw them win in a street fight. I think it, this game delivered. It, it was not some kind of a scoring bonanza. But it delivered with coaches going for it aggressively on fourth down, with George Kittle blocking his butt off, with Fred Warner continuing to play, like Greg said, as well as any defensive player in the league over the past few weeks. And then Lamar Jackson in a game where he didn't pass much and had nothing really going downfield, his ball handling and play fakes were magic and freed up lots of room in the running game for him and the other backs. It was a fun game to watch, and I don't think we come out of this saying definitively the Ravens are the best team in football. These were two even teams, and they had the better kicker today. Hmm. And they controlled the end of the game situation better. You're right. There was very little separating these two teams. I think it it said to the rest of the league, not that we need a reminder, but the Ravens aren't just going to steamroll every great team along the way. I think the 49ers did so many things well in this game. Some long drives against the Ravens. They forced a turnover against Lamar Jackson in terms of a lost fumble, which uh, you don't see very much. Uh, Good fourth down decisions that they convert, but it comes down to the end of the game where they don't pick up a fourth and one, where a play is batted uh, down. The Ravens hit Jimmy Garoppolo's play, and then the Ravens control the ball for the last six and a half minutes of the game, and that is Ravens football, and that is Lamar Jackson at his best, and it it wasn't pretty, but maybe that is his MVP moment, because on a day where he couldn't throw the ball very well, he goes three for three on that drive in tough conditions for 32 yards, and he picks up two other first downs with his legs, including a fourth and one, and in short-yarded situations, he's just the, the number one weapon in the league. When you've seen Baltimore look vulnerable to any degree, it's because teams in the past, and it's not a week-to-week thing, have been able to run on them. And that, in the in the Niners' strength, showed up today with Raheem Mostert, 146 yards, 7.7 yards per carry. And it was George Kittle playing that role where, like, it wasn't just the big play catches. He is a physical nightmare to deal with and opening holes and a huge part of that ground game. I just... I, oh, yeah. I'm impressed with the fact that the Niners, because had they, had they been wiped out, you have to look at this entire league and say, no one's going to stop this rumbling train at Baltimore and this was a weather game we've seen these three weeks in a row with playoff contenders where weather has almost I think clouded what you could really say you saw because clouded it, weather nice there we are it reduced both teams to such a degree but they but the Ravens man they are 
when you look back on a Super Bowl type season, if it happens, it's this kind of a game right here. Got to win games like this. Yep. It's not always going to be as easy as it's been recently. And yeah, and ho hum, Lamar Jackson runs for a hundred yards, and it's just like you know you can't just look at him and oh he had 125 passing yards. He is that complete player that we really have rarely seen in the history of the game. I would imagine he's got to be getting close to a thousand yards now. We are yeah, he, this, his final stats are going to look like nothing we've ever seen before. He's the first quarterback to rush for 100 yards in a game four times in a season. Uh, I think by the end of the first quarter, they had already broken their season franchise record for most touchdowns in a year. This guy's just amazing, and there's still four games to go, and he's got all these records. Right. He he should break, or he could break Mar- uh, Michael Vick's rushing record in the season next week. He's I think he's less than 60 yards away from that already, and the rest of the running game was quiet. It was Mark Ingram for 59 yards. But I, I do think on a day where you couldn't throw it very well down the field, Garoppolo and Lamar Jackson, both I think were helped out by the receivers making good plays for them on passes that were just a little bit off. And I think that is where the weather came uh, into effect. If you run at the ball that much on a day against the 49ers, so I know I've given up some yards on the ground, but 38 runs against them is imposing their will. To win that way in 2019, Ronnie Stanley and Marshall Yonda and uh, Brown on the right side, I mean, they are just as, as good as any offensive line in the league. And when Lamar did drop back to pass, and I know they didn't light it up, there weren't big plays to be had by the 49ers defensive line. They kept Lamar pretty clean and and there were no big-time turnovers where Nick Bosa changes the game. He didn't touch Lamar once. I'd say this, though. It, San Francisco, and it's a tough loss. You, you cannot afford another mistake. You play the Saints in New Orleans next week, and that Seahawks team is hanging out there in Week 17. They could wind up as a wild-card team if things went the wrong way, and that would be very disappointing. Well, this this game was so massive you know, for the, the home field advantage race. Obviously, Ravens are battling the Patriots. And then the 49ers, it, it's going to be between them and the Saints, who they play next week, and the Seahawks. And you can even throw the Packers and Vikings in there, but they're they're kind of playing from behind. They still have a chance, but this is a game that they, if they could have pulled this out somehow, uh, they would have been in much better position. San Francisco managed just 119 yards and three points after halftime. And circling back to Tucker, I do think he's a Hall of Fame player. I think that what we saw, and Robbie Gould on the other side of the field, and I know he hasn't been uh, healthy this season, so maybe that factors in, uh, but he attempts a 51-yarder that lands halfway uh, up through the end zone. He fell, you know, five, six, seven yards short of the crossbar, and then you see Justin Tucker just split the uprights in those conditions with those stakes, and he has made 38 consecutive field goal attempts in the fourth quarter in his career. Uh, he's just, I mean, I joke around about kickers a lot, but we, he, we're we witnessing greatness with Tucker, and he's only been in the league eight years. He's going to be around for a lot longer than that. Didn't he have a missed PAT a couple weeks ago that had a, him on our yeah. radar, and we were, everyone was thinking maybe, you know, he's It's been a bad away. year for kickers, and Tucker's missed a couple kicks. He ha- hasn't been as invincible as he was during that, like, 2014 to 2017 stretch. Where when they were just, winning games like 14 to 11, and they needed him to be total Robotron. You but know? he's still the best, and he showed it again. And he got, oh, we have actually some Tucker sound. I also like this about Tucker. He's got a little swag as a kicker. They can go bad, but not him. I feel like in the spirit of my teammates who have been up here to talk to you guys the last few weeks, I should say something like real inspiring, like big trust. And I'll open it up for questions. <laughs> Sounds hey. like one of us saying that. Hey, he's a dude. 
I think uh, John Harbaugh and Bill, Bill Belichick probably are the best special teams coaches among head coaches. Mm. They're the most steeped in special teams, and each of them in the past year has called him the greatest kicker of all time. He's a, yeah, oh, he is the greatest yes. we've seen. What was that, Wes? Oh, yes. Well, what is with this these, entire show this is trend, just completely is going trend of sound drafts point. I do think we can criticize Kyle Shanahan a little bit for having a shotgun pass on fourth and one on the key play of the game when you're running for 6.7 yards per carry. And he said he would do it again because the Ravens, you know, they put a ton of people up front and that's what they do. Uh, but he said he wishes he called a different play. I also hated how conservative and afraid he called the end of the first half, but that's the Lamar Jackson effect. They really did not go for three points at the end of the first half when gold ended up being short, Mm -hmm. which is very un-Kyle Shanahan-like to be so conservative because I think they were just trying to prevent Lamar Jackson from getting the ball again, and that three points cost him. All right, let's move on. A game played with big stakes uh, regarding the AFC West. Shotgun this time for Carr. Slam pattern, intercepted at the 40, 35, coming to the near side. It's one, Thornhill, 10, 5, touchdown, Kansas City, a pick six by the rookie from Virginia. A slant intercepted by one, Thornhill, in return for 47 yards. Mitch Holtus, Chiefs Radio Network, with the call. Yes, the rookies pick six in the second quarter turned Sunday's game into a laffer for the Chiefs, who took control of the AFC West with a 40-9 win over the Raiders at Arrowhead. And it was a uh, weird game, I have to say. So 40-9, it sounds like, oh, typical uh, Chiefs shenanigans where they just overwhelm an opponent with their great quarterback and that offense. But they scored 40 points in a game uh, in which Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes threw for 175 yards. Their leading rusher, Darwin Thompson, ran for 44 yards. In fact, Kansas City was outgained 332 to 259 by the Raiders, and yet they still coast a victor. I would love to, maybe I'll reach out to the uh, L.A. researcher team and, and make sure they don't get to see their kids tonight. And find out if a team has ever scored 40 points, had a 40 burger uh, with that few, uh, uh, that, that amount of uh, total yards. Anyway, two major factors. The Chiefs didn't commit a turnover or a penalty. And the wow. Raiders had three turnovers and 12 penalties for 99 yards. So you add it all up, the jumbo, pe- the jumbo pieces, you could figure out how this happened. But it wasn't your typical 40 to 9 victory. It's worth keeping an eye on the Chiefs offense to see when they start clicking again like they did last year and last year Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey played all 16 games together this year. This was only their third game they've completed together all year and I think that factors into why they haven't been in rhythm and maybe we'll see some Darwin Thompson going forward. He looked looked good in the preseason and part of it was Darrell Williams got hurt and they're just Damian Williams was hurt coming into the game. And you're right. It's hard to get on their offense when they win 40 to 9. But Mahomes runs for that touchdown, and that was a key play of the game. Just like in the Chargers game, kind of because he's needed to, because they haven't had a great rhythm. But I think it, if you're a Chiefs fan, it's all positive that they can win games in different sort of ways. And this Raiders team is falling apart a little bit. But this Chiefs secondary is tough to throw on. And they, the fact that they can win games like that, where Juan Thornhill is making a big play and, and Honey Badger back there, that's a pretty good safety combination. It just gives them more options of, of routes to victory. And this was a different one. And they that- had eight guys with rushing it. Kansas City. I mean, it's like they're banged up. 
Go that, ahead, Dan. Yeah, that Patrick Mahomes uh, touch uh, touchdown run, 13 yards, came after an interception was taken off the board by the Raiders. Uh, it was challenged and turned into pass interference, which was uh, John Gruden said after the game uh, was, you know, they got burned by the Wizard of Oz. Uh, so that that was and it was a bit of a questionable call and it and I'm not saying it changed the the trajectory of this game but it's another example of all these little things that added up to create 40 to 9. I do wonder, you know, I, th- they made the right choice organizationally obviously without question to move on from Kareem Hunt. But you just look at the player and wonder what this team would be with him at running back. Uh, who's looked really good for Cleveland because they've never really they they've had production but they never really figured out that role since and that's been a very inconsistent kind of clown car this season for them and that that affects you know you, the guy guys coming who aren't getting reps they're not hot they're not the hot I want to be in the so. clown car especially clown not an inconsistent not one <laughs> and well, <laughs> I mean you you like the consistent clown cars a yeah, little bit right. and they're offering gonna, more and if we're gonna talk clown cars in this game we should be talking about the Raiders then because uh, they don't they no show against the Jets and we saw what happened with the Jets today so just you know keep that in perspective to get beat up and pushed around the way they did at the Meadowlands and then they go on the road. And um, I yacked this one. I thought this would be a close game on Thursday. I talked about it, that they would bounce back and show some fight. Uh, but no, it might be a situation where the Raiders, you know, kind of peaked and they're one of those teams that are a fun story uh, until you get to around Thanksgiving when, quote unquote, the season starts and then, you know, the force of gravity takes hold. I, I still think they'll be a tough team to beat in their building, but it's six and six now. What can you really expect going forward? Well, they, they play three, four and eight teams in the last three weeks of the season, which makes next week home game against Tennessee kind mm, of a, a dirt nap game. game, at least for the Raiders. I think you got it. If you're the Raiders, you have to win that game because they're falling behind uh, in the race. And Derek Carr, you know, he's, he's going to have to wait to get a, another chance to prove he can win in cold weather. And his, the numbers in cold weather are, are terrible and they got worse today. And Jack Del Rio, his former coach, got on him during the week, and that became like a big story. And, and Carr took offense, th- saying, "Hey, that's a team, that's a team game. I, you know, I, I don't think it's all on me." But for what it's worth, it, it's uh, just they're just facts. The, the facts are facts. The Bengals and Dolphins are the only two AFC teams with a worse point point differential than the Raiders this year. Not over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, the last couple of weeks, nobody has a worse point differential. Uh, speaking of the Tennessee Titans, it's time now for the road to victory presented by the United States Marine Corps. Penitary 46-yard field goal left hash for the lead. Snap, set, kick, block. Ty Smith has it. 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, end zone. the first time since 2001 when Big Ford, Henry Ford, blocked it in Detroit. That oh. was 293 oh, games ago. Oh, my. Mike Keith, what a flex. That's why you keep Mike Keith around. With a nugget in the big spot in the middle of the call. I feel like he practiced that on Saturday, but fair enough. That was excellent. Titans Radio Network called the Cruikshank Redemption. Dane Krugshank crashed the inside gap, blocking a potential uh, game-tying field goal. Ty Smith scoops it up, 63 yards to the house. This is the biggest play in the Titans' 31-17 win over the Colts, the game that had huge ramifications in the AFC Southwest. The Titans are surging, and I know you're a believer. 
The race for the AFC South crown is a battle to survive fatal flaws. The Colts' fatal flaws is the kicking game. They missed three mm. kicks again today, two of which were blocked. Uh, and the fact that their weapons uh, attrition has taken care of them, really, their top five offensive weapons before the season started are all out in this game. So wow. they're throwing to Zach Pascal, who had a really good game, and Jack Doyle, but not much beyond that. Um, and then the Titans' fatal flaw is an offensive line that's been a problem all year. Tannehill was sacked six times, five of those in the first half. Mm. Um, the Titans could not contain the Colts' defense for most of this game. And there was, there was a time of possession issue that made it seem like every time I look up, Derrick Henry's rushing for a first down, but the Titans never have the ball after that. Uh, he, he now, Derrick Henry, last 16 games, he has rushed for 725 yards and 20 total touchdowns. And the last player to rush for that many yards and that many touchdowns over a 16-game span was Chris Johnson. You said 1,700? 1,725 yards. Wow. This guy is a legit star right now. And he's averaging 165 yards in the last three games, all of which are Titans victory. And they've, they've pumped it up through the air a little bit more with Tannehill at quarterback, and some of the big plays have you know ap- appeared. But a lot of Derrick Henry's production has come when you don't trust any of the receivers, and you're stacking the boxes against him, and he's doing it week after week. There were two huge blocked field goals in this game, too. I mean, you talked about special teams earlier. I thought the, that one of them changed the complexion of this game entirely, and the Colts, 24 straight points given up. I feel you can kind of see... I'm, I like the Colts. I like the coaching, but the injuries are racked up. They're drifting away from us in this playoff picture to right. some degree. They have a killer loss to Pittsburgh earlier in the year. Well, they... I sometimes think about these games as margin for error and the, the Titans just have so much had so much more margin for error in this game they fall behind early uh, Tannehill has a turn there's a couple turnovers early but they can survive that whereas the the Colts cannot survive Jacoby Brissett throwing a terrible interception which he did which which helped to turn this game around it's like they need to play perfect I think Titans fans were frustrated for much of this game that Frank Reich is out coaching them but ultimately you know you're Brissett and you're throwing to Mark Johnson, you're throwing to someone named Ashton Doolin from a place called Malone University. Never heard of Malone. I was a painting student there. Uh, Randy Travis is at tight end. He came from the Country Music Awards. Ross Travis. I don't know what's going on. Hey, I mean, leave him alone. Greg likes country. They sound like they're like, they're like two days away from signing Jordan Matthews, it sounds like. It's rough. I'm just saying the Titans have a little bit of, of juice, a little bit of firepower. They do. They're fun to watch right now. And Tannehill is playing really well. You know, despite all those sacks, which I don't think were on him, they were on the offensive line, he's still making big throws into tight windows. And then a great throw with the 40-yard touchdown to Cleef Raymond to put the game out of reach late. The Titans era ended when Marcus Mariota was benched. They just feel like a different team now. Look at you. They just feel – I don't feel anything – there's no animosity towards that organization or the fan base. There never was. I just hated watching Marcus Mariota. I, and I don't think Ryan Tannehill's a star, but I just think at this time, with this team, at this moment, he's performing in a very high level, and they're fun to watch. Although they kind of still are like the Mike Malarkey Titans. I mean, Tannehill was 17 for – Minus 20, the ability to block. Yeah, 17 for 22 today. Every Tannehill game is like 16 for 20, well, which is great. You know, you're super efficient. It's Derrick Henry running. You're playing it close to the vest, but it is working. That was a time of possession issue. They lost two fumbles early and then the sacks. Uh, I mean, I don't know if that was a philosophy. 
philosophy issue as much as just this game turned out that way. And also, Wes, you mentioned on Thursday's show that Tannehill was a candidate for the franchise tag. I don't know where your reporting came from, but that was followed up this morning with additional reporting suggesting that that's how the Titans think, too. Well, let's get to the bottom of this. Is that your reporting? Sometimes things that are easily deduced don't need to be reported. We can all reach a sensible conclusion without inside information. There you go. And, you know, speaking of Marcus Mariota, not to pile on, but Delaney Walker went to um, IR uh, with an ankle injury. Uh, this part of the thing that annoyed me about the Titans era, as soon as something would happen like this, like, well, that's why. That's why. If they just had Delaney Walker, they'd be okay. But you know what? Bad luck. No, look, the Titans can still survive and thrive on offense, uh, even if they lose players. It doesn't have to be a perfect situation. Well, certain quarterbacks, I don't know what it is, seem to have excuses made for them left and right until they literally leave the league. Also, Jonu Smith is better than Delaney Walker this year anyway, so it wasn't a loss. And that was the road to victory presented by the United States Marine Corps, the real heroes. All right, let's move right along. Mark, here we go. The shotgun gets the snap, throws the pass, and the pass is intercepted. And that's Joe Hayden, the former Brown. He's at the 45. He's at the 50. He takes a dive at the 45. And you can put this one in the history books. What a fitting end for Joe Hayden, the former Browns, a former number one pick. The ball was intended for the Browns receiver in the middle of the field. And that was Landry. And the Steelers play takeaway. And Heinz Field is in a frenzy. Bill Hillgrove with the call Steelers Radio Network. Seated next to Mark, I'll paraphrase. You said something along the lines, Mark, of, oh, it had to be Hayden. Anyway, Hayden's interception. Baker Mayfield, the final minutes of the game, deciding play the Steelers a 20-13 win over the Browns at Heinz Field. Pittsburgh started the season with three straight losses. will enter the final quarter of the season in the sixth and final playoff position in the AFC. On Sunday, they got some revenge on the Browns, Mark. It's... It, to me, it is a uh, microcosm of what has been wrong with Cleveland. And we'll get off Cleveland quick and get to Pittsburgh, the much more encouraging team here. The Browns got out hot and had a lead, a yardage advantage of 147 to 9. And this was not minutes into the game. They built a time of possession advantage because they were running the ball at will on Pittsburgh and having their way through the air with Jarvis Landry. 17 plus minutes to under 5 for Pittsburgh. And I thought they have figured out how to finally come in and hammer with their talent lesser teams, which on paper, the Steelers on offense certainly are. And it is unbelievable to me how outcoached and how classed Cleveland was in the second half of this game. Duck Hodges deserves an absolute ton of credit for the chemistry that he built on a touchdown to James Washington, who had big plays all day, that changed this game. And they went on to 20 straight Unanswered points, Pittsburgh, because they were using guys like Jalen Samuels out of the Wildcat to keep Duck Hodges out of trouble at points. The Browns' pass rush dried, dried up with some injuries. Guys like Benny Snell and ba- Baker Mayfield had a killer fumble. And at one point, you just looked at them for 20 straight minutes. They could not move the ball. And Freddie Kitchens, I like the guy. I like the person. I have no issue with the fact that you know it takes a while at the, as a head coach to learn how to do this. It doesn't happen in two minutes. But Mike Tomlin, for everyone who wants to get on him for the late season losses in Pittsburgh, this was a signature type of Mike Tomlin win where you just felt Pittsburgh becoming and morphing into the tougher team against a Cleveland team that started to feel all the old ghosts around it. And so it was 
absolutely appropriate that Joe Hayden, of all people, the ex-Brown I used to know what that felt like, capped this thing. And I, Cleveland season is over. I don't really care about the math involved at this point because this is what they do in games. They will find a way to lose two more of these, one of them against the Bengals, I'm telling you right now. And it's going to be a really, really long night of questioning inside that building whether or not you keep this head coach. Mm. They've proven this is in their DNA for 2019, the Freddie Kitchens, Browns. And forget Big Ben, Antonio Brown, Lev Bell. Those guys are long gone. This this offense was playing without Juju Smith, the number one receiver, James Conner, the number one running back, Marquise Pouncey, one of the best centers in the league. And they beat a Browns team that's more talented. And that's been the story of the Brown season. Absolutely. And I mean, this is where it goes back. I think where like organizations win. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's unfortunate for Mark and, and Brown's fan, but organizations, ownership, every everything sets up for like a win like this, where Benny Snell outgains Nick Chubb and Vance McDonald, Noda Beckham kind of have the same, you know, stat line and, and the Steelers can somehow recover from all of those injuries. It just seems like, because there is so much talent on this team and Miles Garrett will be back next year, they just need to clean it up a little bit. And, and yeah, I know it's not a big deal, but Jarvis Landry and Beckham leave the locker room without talking to reporters. It's just like, I don't know. Who's I, running that team? I don't know who's running the team and I don't, I, it, do, it doesn't see, and maybe that is, and this is one of the things we thought before the season, the, the possibility that all the personalities won't mix the right way. Maybe with a stronger head coach, it works. Maybe these are the type of players that won't respond to a stern head coach either. These are all things that need to be worked out in Cleveland, but they have a lot of work to do. I mean, because we did say, like, what is this, their seventh loss? And I get where your frustration's coming from, Mark, obviously, because this is a tough game. Uh, they're not out of the mix. They can get high but what have we seen from this year uh, that will that says they will? Because no, all the I, talent in the world doesn't matter if you're an inconsistent. They're not a team. playoff team, and they're not going to make the playoffs. Like I, I understand the mathematical side. It's the little things to tack on to what you just mentioned that. Safety Demarius Randall is not even brought to the game, and no one quite knows why there were some safety issues he maybe received. I don't know some threats or something. Freddie Kitchens is photographed with a fan wearing a you know Pittsburgh started it T-shirt, and it was given to him by his daughters on his birthday. So it's like, okay, let's not make a huge deal out of that. You, but you wear it inside the house, buddy. Ju- yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, like, just it's, it's, it's nonstop idea. issues, and the, the like you know I. This was the one week, and Dan, you were feeling it with the Jets, the optimism for the first time in years. And I tweeted out some real strong stuff. And like, uh, I was like, why is my feet? Well, my feet is blowing up today because I appropriately annoyed the Steelers fan base, and they seem to be a strong willed group, and good for them. But it got retweeted. It got retweeted midday, I found out, by Old Takes Exposed, because that's what you do if you're a fan. You just, it's like a billion old takes. So got Twitter guy. Yes, and it's blowing up, and it's like, I'm not going to go on Twitter for three weeks. And it's, you know what? I started it. I'll deal with it. I got respect. I got respect for you, Mark, because I saw it's not really in your nature to to use that type of bravado, uh, and yet you were confident and you you were feeling it. But it did, and I let you know this during the game. I. I sensed it as I was driving to work. I was like, oh, God, if, if Mark doesn't win after those comments, it was, it was like dropping a comprehensive bomb upon Steelers Nation <laughs> yeah, or whatever. I, mean, it was, I was like, yeah, these fans, and Mark has a big enough tournament box. That's Sessler 101. It's coming back at him hard, and that's going to that's gonna compound and annoying. But to your credit, Mark, I think your spirits have been in a good place. Your spirits are better now than when much worse Browns teams lost games that didn't matter. This is who they've been, so it's not a surprise. If you, if you start out hot and then you crumble, that's one thing. This is who they've been. All right. They, they, one note I, on the Steelers. 
they've won six of seven games now. They are rolling. And I don't know how good their offense is going to be. I don't know how how much staying power Duck Hodges has. But the way they turn this around and the balls to go get Minka Fitzpatrick, they've been a top two or three defense since that trade. At 7-5, and five, they now look like a very possible playoff team. They're, they're going to host the Bills in two weeks, which will be a, a big one for them, and they have to go to the Ravens. But they, for the Steelers, flipping around, this was just as big, obviously, a game for the Steelers, and now they have a legitimate shot to go get that sixth seed. And they beat those Colts, so they've got tiebreaker action. And now, Wes, it's been about four or five hours. I teased this uh, earlier in the day, but I had a compliment coming your way. Okay. And now the time has come for me to deliver that compliment. Okay. Um, good job scouting Mason Rudolph's failures. Thank you. And now this is where you're just feeling it. You're the guy that hits on 17 at the blackjack table uh, and gets 21. Duck Hodges, who you were calling for, which just felt like it felt almost unfair to Mason Rudolph. He played a really good game. Once he got warmed up, it's so clear that this guy should have been in before he came into uh, steel, uh, to the Steelers' offense. So my compliment to you, sir, is that you have diagnosed this beautifully, and um, I love you because of it. Well, thank wow. you. That makes up for the other big step. That makes up for the other team in this game, which I spent all offseason raving about mm. Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield laying waste to defenses. So you get some of them right and you get some <laughs> of them wrong. But I do think Duck Hodges, what this team needed was a quarterback who won't throw the game away, won't mess up, and has some sense of rhythm and timing, which was missing. I mostly just like Dan's trend towards not wanting to have any genuine human interaction outside the podcast. Mm-hmm. He wants to save it all for <laughs> on air. Eventually, we'll only speak to Dan on the podcast. That's like what Warren Beatty said to Madonna in uh, her documentary, uh, now you're Warren Truth Beatty. or Dare. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get where this is going. You inspired the song You're So Vain? Um, I, I can't even go on. Let's move on. It's like, no, not at all, but all right, let's go. Empty backfield for Allen, takes the snap. Allen, under some heat. Allen, looking, looking, backpedaling, giving up yardage, gets hit, it's down, and the Redskins going to win it. It was Bostick who knocked it out. As Allen gave up yardage all the way back to the 30-yard line. 14 seconds to go, and the Redskins defense gets the job done. Larry Michael, uh, Chris Cooley. What's wrong with Cooley? <laughs> Turn it up in my headphones. Ugh. Cooley. Someone's in peril. The Panthers quarterback scampered 23 yards behind the line of scrimmage. That sound you hear, that sound you hear is tens of thousands of people clicking into the Mark Marin podcast. <laughs> nice sack. Scampered 23 yards. Thank you to everyone taking drugs that is staying with us. <laughs> We appreciate you. 23 yards behind the line of scrimmage before Chris Odom knocked the ball from his hands. It was a profoundly unsuccessful fourth and goal try for the Carolina Panthers. 
and it allowed the Redskins to escape with a 26-18 win. That is two straight wins for the Washington Football Club. And listen, we all know it. Dwayne Haskins is developing and he's developing photos from his selfie binge, but he's also developing as a young rookie and he needs help. He, I mean, he needs help just like any other rookie quarterback needs help and he hasn't been getting much of it on a bad Redskins team. Today he did because, uh, uh, especially from their running game, Adrian Peterson and Darius Geis combined for 258 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Geis especially, and this is something you really wanted to see because he's a talented young player that's had injury issues. He was running angry in this game. And I mean that as a compliment. Angry runs, Kyle Brandt style. He had runs of 38 and 60 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Mark, you'll you'll like to know that Adrian Peterson moved one step closer to Walter Payton on the all-time touchdown list. He had a score. You tracking this has saved a lot of work for me. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the Redskins did a nice job, uh, and their offensive line deserves a lot of credit for that as well. And on the Panther side of the ball, you know, they blow a 14-0 lead in this game. And I know they, they kind of cooked their goose uh, because of Joey Sly's misses against the Saints last week, so maybe this game didn't have uh, a ton of importance um, at five and six, but now they're five and seven and they're riding a four game losing streak and they have a losing record at home. And the owner came out 10 days ago and said, I will not stand for mediocrity. And they are the very picture of mediocrity in the NFL right now. And that's all a long way of saying that in a league where they fire in our league, where they fire a quarter of the coaches every January, Ron Rivera is cooked. And and I don't even know if it should be because of his quarterback play. It should be because he switched to a 3-4 defense mm-hmm. in the offseason, and they run some hybrid. They're not strictly one thing or another. But they entered this game 31st in run defense DVOA and got worked over today. Their run defense went from decent, not terrible, to one of the worst in the NFL. And they've been reasonably healthy all year. Well, they lost K1 short, which was huge. Early. Right, but, but not known as yeah. a like monster run defender. He's a pass rusher. No, and they, and they lose on Terry Poe, and you watch Darius Geis go 10 for 29. Peterson go 13 for 99. The Redskins run for 248. I mean, that's the type of team that Ron Rivera wishes that the Panthers could be, and you, and you assume in some weeks, of course, Christian McCaffrey uh, does run that well, but today he was held down 14 for 44 on the ground, and... Uh, it's it's surprising this Bill Callahan. We're just going to run the ball fifty times. We don't care what happens. Hey, it's 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 gotten them a few wins here. It works three out of twelve times. I mean, well, you know, wins. well, what what was group? What was Callahan? He entered in week five. What at zero and four? So you know, he's he's like three and uh, three and five. Three and four. He's, he's doing all right. Coach of the year. <laughs> if Brian Flores is in coach of the year candidacy, like some people are trying to say, why not Bill Callahan? Three and five. I but I. I I get that Ron Rivera might be on his way out. You have to make sure you're going to find a better coach because most of these guys come in and they don't work. And Ron Rivera, it does seem like it's an every other year thing, but Ron Rivera will find another job. I, agree. I don't know if that's a reason not to fire him. Right, though. I, right. I, I hear like you, but it's like, not every other year though because the defense the last two years has been bad, and that's his defense. I it's think also when you're when you're riding with a rookie quarterback, I think it's easy to forget that. 
Kyle Allen is a young quarterback that is like learning on the job still. That we want him to be productive all the way because of the good early looks he gave. It's like he's just going to keep that going. Like the growing pains are real. It's similar to we've heard calls for John Harbaugh's job. We've heard calls for Mike Tomlin's job over the last couple of years. Those teams stayed with him, and I, to me, Ron Rivera is a similar type of coach to those guys. Mm, Nate Orchard, uh, the linebacker of the Redskins, who was picked up this week made two game-saving type of defensive plays in this game, and he had just been signed, and some you know Redskins reporter asked him about it after then. He broke down crying, like, what it meant for him, and it reminds you, like, in these games that we think are dog games, and they are. You don't need... We didn't want to watch them or whatever. Like, someone's life is changing, and, so, like, it can mean an awful lot, and it was clear to him, who had been out of the league as recently as a few days ago, like, like what that experience meant to him. A much less Darius Geis, who's been through total hell. Way to put it in perspective, Greg. Thanks. Yeah, I knew that. I knew sweater. that was going to get on Dan's radar. Yeah. That comment. You're wearing this sweater really? in a paternal way. You got to was... watch. You got to watch a little Nate Orchard interview. You, we, you, it'll break you down, Dan. We need some sentimental Even music behind that. Cold heart like yours. Can we do that? Can we put some <laughs> sentimental music behind the post? There we go. All right, let you're a copper. Let us <laughs> Skull Island. Let's move on. They're going to fake this thing. Elsewhere in Tankville. is spread all over the field. Five to the left, four to the right. They run it. They throw a touchdown. Unbelievable. It was Sanders. Chad Hawk. Hawk threw it. (laughs) I've never seen that before. Mmm, Jimmy Cephalo. And that man's seen a lot. Bob Greasy and Joe Rose, the Dolphins Radio Network. Called the Miami Special. How about that, Eagles? Build a statue. Holder, Matt Hack threw an underhead one-yard touchdown pass to Jason. I don't think his name is Hack. I think it's Hawk. Matt Hawk. Let's not call the man a Hack. I mean, H-A-A-C-K. It is. I am have it on strong uh, authority that it is Matt Hawk. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> okay. Uh, to Sanders, a brilliant bit of trickery by the Dolphins. 37-31, they go on to win over the fading Eagles, who kick away a golden opportunity to pull into a tie in the brutal NFC East. Mark, the Dolphins also got great performances out of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Devontae Parker. It's their third win in five weeks. Tank this. Yeah, they're just not that team that's tanking. It's like they're they have been... What they, You talk about Brian Flores as coach of the year and it's it's maybe it's oversold. Who was talking about that by no, the way? I saw, I saw a couple up. of tweets about it that yeah. he deserves consideration. I even saw you know some writers saying and that's just like okay he's doing a great job. Yeah, job well done. Isn't that down. enough? Right. No one's, no, forget the award business <laughs> yes. but it's an improbable coaching job by him. He's doing a great job. Right? I, and I think, awesome it, I think it gives you well there's a lot of teams that are kind of hanging around in this <laughs> mediocre center world and I think the one thing Dolphins fans have is you know, this can change your year, but we can look at our coach and say he's aggressive. He is not afraid to go out, to cook up trick plays that are bizarre, and he will hit you with an onside kick, and he'll do it again if it doesn't work because he believes in taking every possible advantage. And and he, the we look at Pittsburgh, the roster that Miami's dealing with, and what they produced today: four hundred plus yards on an Eagles defense that fell apart down the stretch. They helped. The, the, the Phillies defense got them up early with an interception that gave Carson Wentz a short field for a touchdown. Then they stopped them inside the 50-yard the line for make it 10-0. The Dolphins did not give up at that point. 10-0 didn't matter. They got down 28-14. to 14. It didn't matter. And Devontae Parker's career 
game had a lot to do with the Eagles secondary giving Ryan Fitzpatrick big open spaces to keep testing them. And the Dolphins cannot run the ball and everyone knows it. And they have nothing in the backfield and they kept making huge plays through the air. And you asked about Carson Wentz. I don't know if this is a game where I can come away saying that he is a totally changed guy because the, 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 he had one interception, but the mess from last week went away that happened in bad weather. I don't think having him throw the ball 46 times is the right way to be using Carson Wentz at this point on this team. Alshon Jeffrey made a good difference with them today, but they don't have the parts for that. He's not the Carson Wentz of a couple years ago with what's around him right now. Well, this is troubling for the Eagles that you have a good offensive day and you think you've got a, a rising defense and you give up 37 points to a... Dolphins team that had their running backs had eight carries for 10 yards through three quarters. They gave up touchdowns on five straight possessions. The Miami Dolphins did. So the Miami Dolphins did to the Eagles what the Ravens were doing on Monday night to the Rams. The, the Miami Dolphins didn't score their fifth offensive touchdown until week seven this year. And they went up and down the field with Ryan Fitzpatrick in no running game. If nothing else, I think it gives you some confidence in their coordinator, Chad O'Shea, who we haven't mentioned his name the whole season. He's never called a play in his life in the NFL. He's done a great job like focusing on their strengths and finding a way to put together an NFL offense. It's amazing. And it's just, isn't it just the sign of a mediocre to bad team, which the Eagles have been this season, when – when you fix one thing, yes. another spring and, and, and more water's pouring into the ship because it's been the defense that's been keeping him in games as his offenses went into a tailspin. The offense finally springs back to life and it's the defense that kills him. And yeah, they will, they will regret this game and this is not a Super Bowl team anyway, so let's not get too crazy about them losing this game. Uh, they're a deeply flawed team. But when you have the Cowboys licking their wounds and in total crisis and you get to watch it on Thanksgiving and then you go to Miami and lose. I mean, that is, that is a tough pill to it's, swallow. It's like, it has to be the lowest point for Doug Peterson. Because yes. when they lost, when they went out of the playoffs last year, that was on a high note where you did a lot with a little and Nick Foles, a quarterback. And this is one where you're questioning everything at this point. This game is a great one for my the talent is not that different, Chris Wesseling, between two NFL teams. Because if you look at these two rosters, the, it, the talent just should be so overwhelming with a halfway competent coaching staff that the Eagles don't lose this game like ever. The Eagles are way more talented than the Dolphins. That's what I mean. And they, right. and they still didn't, they still don't, it's close enough where somehow Miami wins this game. The Dolphins, I saw a stat over the weekend. 42% of their roster is undrafted. That is amazing. <laughs> Half their roster almost is undrafted. Mm. And Brian Flores is out here winning games with them. I, don't, I just don't I see. I take it back. He's coach of the year. I just don't see how H-A-A-C-K is Hawk. It's not, I'm, not, I'm it. not suggesting that if you're just going to look at the way it's spelled, that you, I wouldn't come to the same conclusion, but it confused me, so I went and looked it up, and I've been told that it's Another hot. option would be hack. <laughs> Where do you find... Where's, wouldn't, where's wouldn't, the U? If where's the W? Some, some patron in that family a long time ago said, our, name, our names are you know Joe and Wendy Hack. Let's change it to Hawk, which is much cooler. It happened a lot on Ellis Island when sure. a lot of the uh, immigrants came over. That's where it happened. Uh, if a name was too hard to pronounce, they would just cut off vowels or the beginning of a name. Maybe that's what ha- Maybe we got an Ellis Island situation. You were Dan Hansestein at one point. It's, po- it's certainly so, possible. Yeah. That's certainly possible. They, they trimmed it. It's so much cooler. Dan I would Hans, say it's much cooler. Give Matt Hack his name back. <laughs> I'm just America. going off the research and the information that I did before. I think the, the show, subtext so, here is I mean, it's not on Dan, it's on Hack. 
Maybe the punter doesn't want to be known as a hack. Maybe this is maybe it's all working out for the best. Hawk is kind of a majestic bird. Let's move on. Three receivers out there. It is. Doc has a shotgun snap. (laughs) Looking right all the way. He spins one to the goal line. And a toe tap by Cooper Cup for the touchdown. Touchdown, L.A. Jared Goff couldn't have walked it down there and placed it any better. Cooper Cup brings it in to take the lead to 26-0. There's a guy that will be at Chris Wessling's co-ed baby shower. Oh, yeah. His neighbor, J.B. Long of the Rams Radio Network. I miss the old days where it's just like, all right, honey, have fun at the baby shower. Those I'll, days are gone, Dan. I'll come and pick up the gifts. But now the man is expected to be at the shower I um, as some ornament. I will argue heavily against a couple shower. I don't know to what effect, but I will argue heavily against it. <laughs> what are we there for? Somewhere in like the late 90s, this changed. It used to be showers were just... For the women, I don't the know, old man I don't comes know to too many men gifts. that have had to go to their own show. Oh, I do. You? But na- ha- ha- I my children have already come and gone at this point in terms of the birth arrangements and stuff. I'm not. I'm going to kick fight. them out of the house. Right? No, I'm going to fight other battles. Like I agree with you, but I'll pick a different battle to fight at this point. Jared Goff threw for 424 yards and two touchdowns. Robert Woods went off 172 yards receiving. You heard that Cooper Cup touchdown. The Rams cruise 34-7 over the Cards. Uh, Greg, everyone's down on the Rams, and how could you not be after that Monday Night Football massacre um, against the Ravens? But they are seven and five; they're still on the periphery. That's all. Give them that; they're on the periphery. They have games that matter, you know, coming up against San Francisco and, and Seattle, so they'll get to decide their fate because those are the teams ahead of them. They showed at least today that they are capable of a game like this. That Jared Goff and Robert Woods and Cooks. And Cup, when they're all on the field together, and I do think it makes a big difference when all three of the receivers are there, are capable of beating down a terrible pass defense, which is what the the Cardinals are. But to be clear, like Goff had 408 yards with 850 left in the third quarter. They basically sat sat down, you know, with a quarter to go, and he didn't really do anything in the drive or two after uh, that big barrage. So they were doing everything they wanted. It looked like the 2017 and 18 Rams with a lot of timing throws uh, and Robert Woods especially having just a, a fantastic game, 13 for 172 uh, and a lot of tough grabs. He, he is kind of, I mean, it, it's almost cliche to say, but he's kind of like the key guy it feels like to them. Like when they have a big, when he has a big day, they have a big day. I know Todd Gurley's the key to that offense and has been for three he was years. Just the, he was just there though today. They didn't need a lot from Gurley. He was 19 for 95, but it was really the passing game. It, hasn't it felt like though this season, even when they're against non-elite defenses, that the Rams have not been able to turn it up the way they have today? I mean, no, that this must be seen as like a major turning point if you want to be optimistic about this team. They've had a couple moments offensively, including that Monday night loss to the, or it was it Thursday night to the Seahawks, where they moved the ball pretty well. Definitely nothing as consistent as this, uh, and it was you know surprising to see it against a Cardinals team who had played. You know, we had been t- saying how great the Cardinals have looked and they've played all these great teams down to the wire and given them credit for that. So if they're going to get blown, if they're, the doors are going to get blown off them at their home, you got to give some credit to the Rams for doing it. I'd imagine Sean McVay did not want to deal with the optics or the narratives coming out of a game where he, if the score were reversed, you get a loss to Cliff Kingsbury, the new offensive mind. And so I, mind. there you go. So I, I don't know. I, I To me, this, this, Stop some of the bleeding. Do I trust the Rams to 
pick up where they left off from this week, next week, or the week after? Not they yet. Got, well, plus, they're in the NFC. Yet. If they were in the AFC at 7-5, and five, you know, they're rolling because they have games against the Cardinals – you know, again in week 17, and you're at Dallas, which at this point is, is a winnable game. Mm. But they have Seattle and San Francisco, and they they might have to run the slate just to get into the playoffs in the NFC, and that is that is tough. For what it's worth, and I know they changed their grades after they do some more work, Pro Football Focus gave Todd Gurley the highest rushing grade of the last four years hmm. and one of the highest rushing grades I've ever seen from a running back in this, in this game. He had, he had some really good runs early. The only reason I said that he was a supporting player is when I when they got it to thirty four nothing, he had sixty yards at that point on about nine or ten carries and, and they just had thrown the ball like crazy. Uh his runs and as we've mentioned on the show, he's looked a lot better. Andrew Whitworth had a great game shutting down Chandler Jones. all the guys on their defense uh, eight and, and sacked Kyler Murray six times. And was Murray healthy in this? Because I know he came in with an ankle issue. They, a hamstring, or and hamstring. They, they talked about that. But then a couple times when he did scramble, he he looked okay. He he said that wasn't the problem after the game. He took full responsibility and just said that they were flat, and he made a bunch of bad I mean, runs. that's what quarterbacks would yeah, do. Yeah, which is but, what you want. It, yeah. it might have been a factor, but there was a couple times he scrambled and looked okay. It is just weird watching this team, just seeing David Johnson as – the occasional like mm. couple carries back up to Kenyon Drake, but that's just where they. If are. the Rams ever knocked off Seattle next week, all in, all back in on saying anything is possible. But I, okay, but that's you, fair. But they have their signature wins are few and far between. Sure, and they and they're going to need teams ahead of them, you know, to help them, in, including Seattle. All right, I was just looking at a schedule change made for Week 15. Oh, wow. Buffalo at Breaking Pittsburgh news. has been moved from 1 p.m. <laughs> Eastern on CBS to 8.20 Eastern on NBC. Ooh. So Buffalo-Pittsburgh flexed. Primetime duck. Minnesota Chargers flexed out to 4.05 on Love CBS. It. Good job. Had to do it. Had to be done. And it's been done and good. You know what? That is great for the and you know Bills fans. I hope you listen to every show, even when we're not talking about your team uh, on a recap show. But there you go. There's some love for the people of Buffalo. When's the last time they had a Sunday night football game? So now you get Thanksgiving showcase, bang, right into Al, Chris, and Michelle. Love it. It's not the Vikings' fault. They're getting moved out, but it's a great decision. And in between, you have a game against the Patriots. The Bills are going to have uh, a lot of big-time games in the next month. That was fresh off the wire. That was 6.17 p.m. from Lakeisha <laughs> Wessling oh, yeah. from the newsroom. So, well, I mean, what a family affair this truly is. Uh, let's move on. Rodgers goes quick count. Back to throw. Looking, steps up, throws end zone. Devontae, touchdown on a leaping grab. Left side of the end zone. Oh, my goodness. Rodgers went no huddle, went immediately, and the Giants were not settled. 17-yard touchdown pass. Devontae, second of the game. Aaron Rodgers' brilliance mentally and physically. Yeah, he just took advantage <laughs> of an unsettled defense. Wayne Larravee and Larry McCarron of the Packers Radio Network. Aaron Rodgers threw four touchdown passes in the snow. The Packers, you know, they put that ugly loss to the Niners in the rear view, beating up on the G-Men. 31-13 at the Meadowlands West. It's a nice get-right game for the Green Bay Packers with another NFC East cupcake on deck in the Redskins. First sentence right here. Giants are a great get-right team for struggling offenses. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-bang. 
Alan Lazard had a great game. He turned three targets into three catches for 103 yards and a touchdown. Had a diving 43-yard bomb that set up Devontae Adams' first score, and then he came back with a 37-yard touchdown against what looked like busted coverage to me. That Giants defense has had a lot of that busted coverage this year. Uh, And there's some things about the Packers that you still worry about a little bit. Aaron Jones had 11 rushes for 18 yards, 1.6 yards per carry. That's been an inconsistency over the last month, and I think Kevin King in coverage is still an issue for their secondary. But overall, they picked off Daniel Jones three times, and on a fun day in the snow, Aaron Rodgers looked really good. He's, he always seems like he's the best snow quarterback. If, you, if you're asking me to take a snow quarterback, I like a little Aaron Rodgers. I might take Brett Favre, but fair enough. Or Tom Brady. Any Packers superstar. I would uh, ask you guys to watch a little bit of the press conference from Pat Shermer. It was something. He was just like emptying out the bag of kind of, I don't know, I don't know if I would call them excuses, but just explanations that you don't want to see out of your coach of a guy who's on the way out. He called this team historically young. Uh, someone <laughs> asked him about Jones's, you know, rough day, and he tried to paint it as a positive that, well, he had three interceptions, but no fumbles. Like he cut down on the fumbling. He problem. made some good throws too. That, that was that was like a positive. That the stadium was very empty there, and I know it was bad weather. It was rainy at the start, but that's that's a sign of a a franchise that's in deep deep trouble. And he is seven and twenty one now uh, through twenty eight games. Pat, Sherman. he seems like he'll be one of the eight doomed eight. We'll call them. Uh, and also, you know, you bring up a good point that especially with these coaches, where the writing seems to be on the wall once you hit December. There are some tropes in their press conferences, and I'll, I'll read a line from Ron Rivera's presser today. I'm not worried about my future. I'm worried about this football team. We have a game coming up on Sunday. When you start hearing things like this and what the, some of those lines that Greg was talking about from Shermer, you kind of know the die's been cast, and it, it must make for a really weird slash uncomfortable slash depressing vibe around uh, team headquarters. Especially, or in the head or, coach's house, potentially. I mean, it's a dark Probably not dark great there time. either. Just a dark no. time. Especially, uh, yeah, a, a New York Giants team that's losing this much, is it's tough. And it's funny because the Giants used to get so much credit for, well, they're the patient owners. They're not going to make hasty changes. Well, that that's great until your team just becomes one of the worst teams in, in the NFL. And then you probably fire coaches after two years, two straight times. Because that's what's going to happen with McAdoo well, and Sherman. Like grown, so, right. so, yeah, you're, you were patient until you turned into one of the worst five teams in the NFL, and then you became like everyone else and you weren't patient. I will, I will ask you to remember that sandwich bet uh, from August where I mentioned Giants ownership picking up Bill Belichick in a parking lot outside Giants Stadium and driving them up to New England on a conversation that will remain secret about what Bill Belichick might do next year. Maybe come back to with the team where it all started. From maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically from 84, uh, really 81, let's say, when uh, Parcells, excuse me, I'll say it again. From 84 when Parcells kind of took hold and the culture changed there, and we'll take it all the way through, and there were some down periods here and there, Ray Hanley here, you know, Dave Brown there, Danny Cannell here. Uh, through 2011 and the super, second Super Bowl win over the Patriots, they really were a model of stability in addition to being one of the more respected ownership groups and someone that grew up in New York that wasn't a Giants fan, a ton of envy about how the how they were able to do it and be consistent. But 
they really have lost their way. And you wonder what – it feels like Shermer's – you know, I, I can't imagine any chance he comes back, but they have so much work to do to get this thing right. I think he was put in a particularly bad position, but when you take a head coaching job, and that could have been his last chance, and he knew that – what do you learn from Bill Belichick and all these biographies about him? Like you, when it came time for the second chance to become a head coach, ownership mattered, which would check the box with the Giants. But the situation that Shermer went into was one where I felt like he had to be a yes man for some really weird stuff going on there with Eli Manning on down. And it's not all just about Eli Manning. I just don't think Pat Shermer has proven to really be a head coach that with two teams now can work them out of a, out of a back you know, corner. It's not good. I still think it's a great job, though. If you, great job, but next as year, to Greg's point, it's a like, lot of work. But I think sure. ownership and the and the stage and the team they they just there's a lot of work. There's a glamour job. It's one Who of wouldn't want to coach the New York Giants? You can be the savior there. It's like being the coach of the Green Bay Packers. I mean, look at Matty Lafleur. You know, he met with us back at the owners' <laughs> meeting, and he's That's taken off nine and three. <laughs> where's Where's Mike McCarthy? I mean, Mike McCarthy. <laughs> He's watching at home. Freddie Kitchens living in with Green Bay, which is I know a lot of the coaches. You know, you don't move because you've lived there forever. But Green Bay seems like it'd be a particularly awkward place to live because there's only like 14 people that don't work for the Packers there that are in the <laughs> town. So it's like all, all my McCarthy runs into is Packers, you know, employees and fans. I think Aaron Rodgers tried to build a wall around his compound <laughs> in Green Bay, and they said no. I, I'm not even joking. I'll have to I'll have to look. All that these up. guys trying to build these walls. Um. And so before we get to the next game, circling back, good on the NFL for acting to flex that game out. What happened with the Ravens today um, and the Niners was so bad. And it actually was worse because we realized that because of the Jets and Giants playing in the early slot, the biggest market in the country, New York, did not get Ravens, Niners. Uh, the West Coast, Simone, your wife, Mark, who's a big Niners fan, she was listening to the game on the radio. I saw her. Well, LA, LA didn't get Ravens Niners either. I asked what was on Fox, and she said infomercials, which is you know not what you're hoping for when Niners and Ravens. <laughs> right. So a game that's so. been hyped up for weeks as a Super Bowl preview. Uh, the two biggest markets mm-hmm. in the country don't get the biggest game. Uh, so nice, and get the Chargers out of Sunday Night Football. My goodness. Speaking of the Chargers, let's go. So McManus is going to have to do it again. Ball spotted, far hash, 43-yard line, an attempt at 53 yards for the win. Offsides by the Chargers, snap, placement, kick on the way, and it is gone! It's over! Brandon McManus from 53 yards out gives the Broncos a 23-20 win over the Chargers. A much-needed victory for this Broncos team that now finds their record 4-8. and eight. Dave Logan, the Broncos Radio Network, with the call. The Chargers and Broncos traded field goals in the final minute Sunday. Luckily for Denver, they kicked last, 23-20. Win at Empower Field at Mile High. You know, either sell the naming rights or stick with the tradition. You know? I just I couldn't agree more. I call BS on this have it both ways stadium naming stuff. Um, Mark, I understand that it's a business and the goal is to turn a profit and live in the black, but why should fans be put in that situation? That's where we're going with this. Uh, I mean, I don't think they should. It's not fair to fans. They're hard. Oh, you want to talk about the game? I don't know. All right, talk about the game. (laughs) This game, and, you know, we were all watching it together, was it just struck me as the most Charger-ish type game ever, but also the most Bronco-ish because you mentioned Greg was was totally fired up, and rightly so, because the Chargers trying to drive down to kick what would have been a game-tying field goal, or even better, to continue to go for it on fourth down and get a touchdown and get out of there on what is a lost season. 
could not get out of their own way. There was a sequence where it was fourth and one, all right, and just to display their total lack of dis- of organization, the the uh, go watch that drive and the amount of time the Chargers are wasting. The uh, the they're allergic to urgency in a situation where you kept seeing Philip Rivers. I don't know if there were communication issues with the helmet or something. It, it struck me that, might, that the, struck me that there might be because he had to kept you know waddling over to the offensive coordinator waddling. and the offensive coordinators you know talking in long, long, long sentences about what to do. The clock's ticking away. They have two penalties that take a fourth and one situation with situation to fourth and six, then to fourth and eleven. Then they get a Mike Williams bomb downfield that gives you everything you might get from a Chargers finish. And on fourth and inches, they kick, they go for a field goal and they get it. And then the whole thing happens with Casey Hayward, mere seconds left, getting hit with a PI by Drew Locke, who's never played an NFL game until today. And Brandon McManus hits the fifty-three yard field goal. But it strikes me with Chargers games, there's so many things happening in the last two or three minutes that are so bizarre that. It's a mess to try to chronicle, other than the fact that this is just like every other Chargers game I've watched. Well, I think if if there's... Look, Philip Rivers has a big hand in all this. He's kind of the commonality in all these games. But one thing I think we can look at the Anthony Liniers, what's a commonality commonality is, if he's going to go out, he wants to do it in the most tepid way possible. Like, he's saying, I don't want to go out swinging. I want to go out kicking that field goal. I don't want to go for fourth and inches. I don't want to play hurry up late in the game. I don't want to have a decision already made in my mind of what we're going to do on fourth down with two minutes and 40 seconds to go. I want to then have the camera pan to me on the sideline and have me and the offensive coordinator go back and forth. I mean, you can almost literally read their lips like, what do you think we should do? Well, I think maybe we should run. Well, I don't Seconds know. Maybe I, should, maybe I should punt. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe we shouldn't. I don't really trust Philip Rivers, so that doesn't really make sense. And it's like, the clock is ticking here, buddies. And then they have to waste the timeout, which forces their decision. And you saw that throughout the rest of the drive. And it just speaks to a lack of preparation and what happens when I think there's a breakdown in communication and trust between the head coach and the quarterback, which is what this team has. Well, that was a pretty major report from Rap Sheet before the game that right. that Philip Rivers, if he continued to play the way he had, would be pulled for Tyrod Taylor. And at one point in the game, we saw Tyrod Taylor warming up, but they sent Rivers back out for the next series anyway. I guess to me, I'm not sure this team wants Philip Rivers next year. At least I'm not sure the head coach does. And after the way... He's been treated with this report coming out. I'm not sure Philip Rivers would want to be back anyway. I would love to know what happened in that sequence where they were Tyrod Taylor, and you know it could have happened for a number of reasons. Was flinging passes on the sideline, and Rivers seemed like, uh, uh-uh, you ain't taking me out of this game, and he went back in. But was there a conversation? Because there's clearly some disconnect between the coaching staff and Philip Rivers. You know, is sort of the beeline through a lot of this madness and confusion. They're four and eight, and they've outscored their opponents this year. Yeah. That feels so like that feels like every charge. Right. If we're going to get on Garrett, gonna if we're going to get on Garrett for close, you know, losing close games because of situational football, this Chargers team is not well coached in situational football. Drew Locke, um he, people are going to give him a lot of credit and he he had the one interception, but other than that didn't make huge mistakes. He was sub Gabbert zone in this game, 4.8 yards per attempt. I was not nearly as impressed with him as I was with Cortland Sutton who to me 
continues to put down a strong argument for that second All-Pro spot behind Michael Thomas. He has played Ooh-wee. as well as any AFC wide receiver, and it doesn't matter who's quarterbacking for them. It can be Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen, Drew Locke. He's beating his man, in this case, one of the best cornerbacks in the league over the past half decade, Casey Hayward. Mm. Had a great diving touchdown catch, and then obviously drew the the pass interference call that decided the game. I what? would say also, no. I want to see a little more from Noah Fun. It feels like there's just, just lost air. yardage. Either he dropped what could have been, and it should have been a touchdown. And during this whole stuff with the Chargers, they had no Von Miller today. At one point, Jeremy Jeremiah Tashi went out, and Millie Greed too. They had two healthy outside linebackers. That should be a w- an area where the Chargers can take advantage. Right. They also had twenty thousand almost no shows. Got people who bought mm-hmm. tickets and didn't show up. You are not used to. Seeing that in Denver, it's it, these teams are both four and eight. I mean, the Chargers are in a position now, you know, with the Redskins, the Dolphins, the Bengals all win today. They're not going to fall behind the Bengals, but the Chargers are at four and eight. Who knows? They might sneak into the top five and have a chance to go draft their next quarterback. You said Noah Font, Mark. Is that like how you say aunt instead of aunt? <laughs> yes, it is actually exactly what's <laughs> happening there. It's been a season-long uh, storyline, and I actually noticed downstairs today that he called him Fant, and I was like, oh, I think Mark's turning a corner. Well, I, almost, I, get tweets corner. I get tweets weekly for Saquon Barkley versus Saquon Barkley, too. It's just I, I'm not going to change. Drew, Drew Locke <laughs> uh, finished sub-Gabbard zone. Uh, and there are some whispers downstairs in the newsroom. Does he pass the quarterback uh, the look test? Does he look like a quarterback? Did this whisper start at your desk? Start and end with Dan Hansis? <laughs> I mean, you look at him on the sideline with the helmet off. Is that a franchise quarterback? That Now, I'm not saying he is or he isn't. I'm just saying there was some chatter downstairs. <laughs> it there, wasn't just it was. me talking to myself. I, if there's a chatter. segment to not clip off for our social media video, I think that's it right there. <laughs> Let's move on. Minshew awaits the snap of the shotgun. Here's the snap to throw on third down and goal. Passes. Now it's picked off. Intercepted. Picked off by the Bucs. And we keep it outside the end zone. We go and it's a pick by the Bucs. Tampa Bay has forced the fourth takeaway of the ball game. It's John Murphy Button has his second career touchdown. This one today on the road in Jacksonville. Gene Decker off. Bucks Radio Network. Yes, Sean Murphy Bunting. Murph. I'm sure his buddies call him. Picked off a Gardner Minshew pass in the end zone, removing all semblance of drama at the big chlorine tank. 28-11, the Bucks beat the Jaguars. Minshew entered the game after uh, Nick Foles melted down in the first half. The crowd is booing. They weren't moving the ball. So Doug Marone makes the shift back to the rookie. So the Super Bowl MVP is on the bench. And, uh, and Greg, this... I mean, the whole Nick Foles season has been a disaster, yeah. uh, and it's been sloppy and staggered in and, and all the wrong ways, and it just this seems like a fitting end to what's just been a lost year for Foles. Yeah, I waved the weight flag in the whole Nick Foles-Minshew debate. Uh, Nick Foles was the problem today in the first half. I mean, they have more than you know just quarterback problems, but today he pulled in six drives – Three three and outs and three turnovers. Oh. I mean, that's like a that's going full Peterman. I mean, that's like there was like one drop on a long pass that you know that that would have helped him. But other than that, it it was his inability to move. 
out of the way of the extremely effective Bucks pass rush, Shaq Barrett and, and Jason Pierre-Paul leading the way. And so, yeah, it was on the offensive lineman who also hurt Minshew, who, who had an up and down. He definitely you know, helped them in the second half. But it was the Bucks defense and Todd Bowles you know, throwing all sorts of blitzes at him that just, that just had this Jet Jaguars team flummoxed. Well, after playing midseason a bunch of shootouts, in which you know they could have won, but they lost. The Bucks have won three of the past four games, and they've just got way more firepower than a team like the Jaguars. They should be winning almost every week now. Wow, uh, why do you every week against good teams? If their quarterback can avoid interceptions, they will beat these teams that they've almost beat. They are probably the best five and seven team out there. They could have a better record. Like this was a very un Bucks game. Winston threw thirty three passes, didn't have an interception. Uh, O.J. Howard and Brashad Perriman had a combined 148 yards. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans were barely over 100 combined. Like, they used everyone. Devin White uh, deserves mention as just a guy who's really coming on strong, Mm -hmm. the number five overall pick in the second half of his rookie year. He had an interception. He's great in pass coverage for a linebacker. Uh, Also had a touchdown on, on a fumble recovery. And JPP just... Dominated. He had ten pressures. Your boy Shaq Barrett, two sacks. So they do have a Good lot of him. they do have a lot of talent. It's like December Bucks. No one. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's nice. Nice, Mark. Good for him. You threw in there. Yeah, well, I've I've come around on him. You know, weeks ago, I I know that was a, a take that I had. You know, back in like late September, which was drastically wrong and he not was, even related to him. He was. He's a free agent. He's gonna make some money. Maybe he'll be there. Maybe he'll be on the Browns. Franchise tag. Why not? Might be. Come have fun in Cleveland. I, he's going to have 15 or more sacks I mean, this the, year. He's, he's not going to hit the market. The Jaguars, though, have been outscored 127 to 47 the last four weeks. That's 20 points a game. So that's more than just the quarterback. It I is. Mean, that's well, just, and that's, that's, that's just like a full system meltdown, and there was fighting inside their locker room after the game. Ooh. Andrew Norwell and uh, Yannick Ngakwe had to be separated. Mm-hmm. Then they heard separate yelling in the shower. So it's all happening. And they oh, had oh, they had issues last year under Marone in the locker room and with, with Fournette and the rest of them. And if we're going to talk about these other coaches on thin ice, you know, Doug Marone is probably lucky to escape what happened last season and to get another chance this year. And it's just the team has totally fallen apart. When they were winning with Minshew, part of it in a couple of those games was Leonard Fournette exploding in the running game, having 200-plus yards on the ground. So I, maybe you guys are right and we're right in the sense that like, I do th- believe in Minshew more than Foles at this stage. Well, for a minute, we'll it looked like the Minshew magic was going to happen. He came in, they scored 11 unanswered, and they had the ball on the two-yard line. He they, he had seven plays inside the 10, six straight plays inside the five with Minshew in the fourth quarter where they could have cut it to one score. He winds up throwing an interception. They couldn't run the ball, the offensive line. Like, it was everyone uh, collapsing, and then it was over. Uh, speaking of the doom date, sometimes it's seven, maybe six if you're lucky. But guys that could be fired, yeah, you got to add Marone to that list. So Rivera, Shermer, Gru- Jay Gruden is already gone. That's just the way it is in the NFL. Uh, all right, let's uh, move on. 17 yards on the play, first and 10 at the 17 of the Jets. Dalton fakes a handoff from the pocket, throws over the middle. Oh, it is caught baby. for a touchdown oh, by Tyler Boyd. Andy Dalton threading the needle between two New York Jets defenders. And with that touchdown pass, the Red Rifle stands alone. Career touchdown pass number mm-hmm. 198 in his NFL career, more than any other quarterback in Bengals history. It's almost like you shouldn't have benched him. 
Dave Hort. Dave Hort and Dave, and Dave Lapham. Dave Lapham. You haven't heard them at all this year on our podcast because they hadn't won a game. But now they have. Bengals Radio Network. Come off the roof, Radio Man. You are free. Andy Dalton <laughs> returned from an undeserved benching to spark the Bengals to a 22-6 win over the Jets at Paul Brown Stadium. The win is Cincinnati's first in 12 tries this season. And a complete effort from the Bengals, who moved the ball with ease in the first half uh, and shut down the Jets completely for four quarters. In fact, the Jets never even reached the red zone. Uh, in this game, it was um, quite frankly stunning, but also not at all stunning. It, all the things, I'm just glad I got my optimism in about the Jets. I got to have a nice week around Thanksgiving <laughs> where I could have some fun. Uh, but anybody that's watched the Jets and followed the Jets uh, for long, as long as I have, or even half as long or twice as long, knew exactly uh, going into this game that this was a danger spot and it became a lot more dangerous when Dalton re-entered the fray for Ryan Finley because Dalton, you had a feeling, was going to come in and play well, and he really did. Uh, but it's it, once from, from the Bengals' side of it, uh, good for them, and even they got a Washington Redskins win, so they, they're... And even though the Giants are right behind them, they're still in position for the first overall pick. Uh, and their their front seven really did uh, a good job in this game. Carlos Dunlop had three sacks. Uh, Geno Atkins was making plays. He's still around doing things. Uh, and on the Jets, all those things that I laid out on Thursday that they had fixed their um, offensive line and their secondary and the um, play calling from Adam Gase, all that stuff went back in the other direction and went back to one in Sevenville. It was that bad. The worst culprit was the offensive line, which was completely ineffective, and it was embarrassing to watch, quite frankly, as a Jets fan. Um, uh, An offensive line that committed seven penalties, allowed four sacks, a safety. Uh, It's just hard to uh, figure it out, and also just such a bad look, again, for Adam Gase, who has the vote of confidence from his coaching staff. The three straight wins uh, probably ensures that he'll be back uh, this season, but there's nothing that can be said about this performance other than it was grotesque, and the Jets made NFL history as they're wont to do, a team that seems chemically addicted to embarrassing themselves. Uh, They are the first team to ever um, surrender and lose to a team – that was at least 0-7, uh, which was the Dolphins last month, and now a team that's that was 0-11. So two teams that got their first win against the Jets after seven straight losses or more to open the season. No team ever done that. Congratulations, New York Jets. And congratulations to the Bengals because uh, they never were they never fit the profile, quite frankly, uh, as an 0-16 team. They had been hanging in a lot of games this year and had uh, gone down to the wire a bunch of times and just couldn't figure it out. In this game, it kind of all lined up for them, and they got a dub. We've alluded to it a couple of times recently. This is not the same Bengals team as the midseason punching bag that was getting their doors blown off on defense especially and missed a lot of tackles. They have allowed about 12 points a game over the last three weeks, and you get Andy Dalton back. I'm not saying he's a savior. John Ross could be coming back soon. Who knows if A.J. Green might play. This is a different team, and I think they're going to be tough to beat the rest of the way. Mm. They, well, they, you already said they're beating the Patriots in a few weeks. so that, <laughs> That is a prediction. Another big-time win for them. Uh, it really speaks to how strange this Bengals franchise is and season <laughs> that Zach Taylor, you know, in the post-game celebration. And 
I kind of it's one of my favorite like sneaky things is when the team gets their first win of the season after a long losing streak. Just like it feels like to that team, they won a playoff game. Like they are so excited, Gatorade baths and all that. Right, to, yeah. like they were just going crazy in the locker room. But it's just funny that he hands the game ball out to Andy Dalton. Of course, which which makes all the sense. Took the knife out of his back, and you know exactly the, the guy that they had just benched, basically for for a fourth round rookie who had no idea. Throws it to Dalton. Dalton doesn't catch it. Goes on the ground, and then Dalton <laughs> Dalton know. picks it up and he gives it back to Zach Taylor, which is really nice of Andy Dalton. He gave a game ball to Zach Taylor, saying, "You know, we all support you and he's all a this." Good man, Andy. And Dalton. he's giving it to the guy who who benched him. Who knows? It might not even be Taylor's decision to bench it, but it just it all felt very even in a happy moment. It felt very. Back. And they'll finish four and twelve. I like. I know the vote of confidence for Gase, and we'll see what happens with the Jets. I don't kill them on this loss the same way I would with with the some of the other ones. It, they, they, I'm sure they were disorganized. I'll go watch it. But the Bengals almost beat the Steelers. They almost beat the Raiders. That said, any vote of confidence, there's still a lot of weeks left to go in the season, and it does matter. I think how Gase finishes this out. I don't wouldn't I'd put him on that list of coaches you mentioned if it were to start, morph into a total disaster. I just don't disaster. see him on that list at this point. Well, then, now, then I would ask this. Out. Then I would ask this. Like you're keeping him, and why is it? To, is it a self confirmation of a decision you made last off season, or is it because you truly you truly think he's the guy, and they just have other issues that are bigger than him at this point? We've talked about it. Christopher Johnson. This was his big hire, and. They they don't want to go one and done because one and done is kind of a devastating look for a franchise also. So they they're going to stick with him. I, I think uh, they could lose out here and maybe that does come in play. But I think that's what would have to happen. Uh, and they were coming off three games where they looked really good. So maybe this was just a bump in the road. Uh, but it's been a bad season. There's no other way to uh, describe it. One note on Andy Dalton and that franchise record. For touchdown passes, that speaks a lot to how unreliable football stats are. And you can't compare across eras. He's at best the fourth best quarterback in that franchise's history behind Ken Anderson, Boomer Esiason, and Carson Palmer. And depending how you feel about Greg Cook's rookie year, right, Cook. let's give it to Andy for, you know, he did take him to five playoffs. I'd rather watch one year six of games of Greg Cook than an entire career of Andy Dalton. All right. On to Sunday Night Football. Deshaun. Hands off to Johnson. Now to Hop right side. He flips the ball to Watson. Diving for the pylon. And he's got it. Razzle-dazzle. Touchdown, Houston. Deshaun Watson with a touchdown coming from his buddy, DeAndre Hopkins. Beautiful. Beautiful indeed. Mark Vandermeer and Andre Ware with the call. Texans Radio Network, Deshaun Watson. He was the best quarterback on the field on Sunday night in Houston throwing three touchdown passes and yes involved on the beautiful trickery there uh, for another score the Houston Texans 28 the New England Patriots 22 whoa very interesting Chris Wessling I'm going to start with you on this one because you had you had the testicular fortitude to lock up the Texans against the previously 10 and 1 Pats and it paid off in a big way well I've been thinking for a while now that The football world is not judging the Patriots for who they are. They're judging the Patriots for who they have been in the past. It's been evident that this offense is among the bottom third offenses in the NFL. For a month or six weeks now, they have these issues. They have not been corrected. And I think when you look at this team 
It is the second worst rushing attack of the Brady era. It's the worst tight end group of the Brady era. It's one of the worst wide receiver groups of the Brady era. And it's an offensive line that has a different starting lineup almost every week. They lost Ted Karras. The Patriots did their starting center uh, today. He was the only offensive lineman that had played every snap. And you're bringing in Kirk Ferentz's son. And that was uh, a huge... He doesn't even get a name. He's just Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, you know, little Ferentz. You know, everyone knows him. Yeah, 30-year-old they, they man like him. Yeah, you know, Shaq Mason, who's the guy who got the contract extension, has struggled all year, and the offensive line is a problem, and the offense is a problem. And But this is the night, I think, that all those problems showed up in a bigger way than before because it was a matchup on paper that looked good. And I think the first half was the worst half of offensive football they played. And you have to give a lot of credit to Romeo Cornell and the Texans defense for mixing up coverages and also sending blitzes. And Tom Brady had more time to throw and tried to extend plays a little longer, actually, than any Patriots game all year. And he couldn't find guys open. And they were daring the Patriots to throw deep. And so he did. And there was nothing there. It was either a miscommunication with Jacoby Myers or with Nikhil Harry, who was a big factor in the first interception, which really changed the game and ultimately got Nikhil Harry benched. Or Mohamed Sanu dropping a pass on fourth down. So right now, Brady doesn't have anyone he trusts other than Edelman and James White. And we're in what, week 13? A lot lot of lip readers out tonight. Yeah, there were. I mean, we're in the, we're now in the time where we say, you know, Belichick, he just uses September to craft his master plan on offense and figure out how to round into shape as some sort of t- total juggernaut. And to Wes's point, they're just not fixing it. They had a 69-yard field goal drive to open the game. Their next five drives did not cover more than 30 yards each. Then they lost the ball on downs. And I love the Texans doing what you need to do against England, which is be ultra-aggressive, the trick play that we opened with. But then they had the shot to Will Fuller that went out incomplete at the back end of the end zone, almost a catch, and they go right back after that to Kenny Stills. And it's like, that's how you need to handle New England. And their defense has been super consistent, but they got buzzsawed by the Ravens. They got taken to town tonight by Houston's offense. You have to wonder, just, I, I don't, I think... I'm not going to view New England as they're going to round into this number one seed material over the next couple of weeks. I wonder what will happen against the Bills. I wonder what will happen down the road. The Chiefs next week. We, in a, a podcast that, you know, technical difficulties might have wiped it away from a lot of our listeners. But we talked about it on the Friday morning Thanksgiving recap show. The Bills are lying in the weeds a little bit at 9-3 and three if the Pats came down to earth. And now you have the, the Pats 10-2. and two. They fall out of the number one seed. That's now property of the Ravens for the time being. And New England now goes and has a big matchup against the Chiefs, who are uh, obviously a, an excellent team as well. It, it's, it's a very interesting time. And I want to, because I, I feel like I, this falls to me, uh, certain things like the Eli Manning defending Bill O'Brien trying to give him some praise. He, it's hard to get praise uh, for Bill O'Brien in this room sometimes, but they're eight and four. They are looking like they're going to, well, and the Titans should be taken seriously at this point, but I still like the Texans to win that division. And on the same day that Ian Rappaport reported that the Texans are not planning to hire a general manager in 2020, they like what he's doing running that whole show. Uh, this is just an organization that's become consistent and year after year, I don't know if it's going to translate into January, but the Texans, to me, are a dangerous team in the conference. They play the Titans twice in the last three weeks of the of the season. That will Same. decide the division. Wow. And the, I think the odds are increasing that both of those teams make the playoffs. Yeah. They, they will have a chance, and I, I think the Patriots' defense, for the most part, 
played well. You know, they give up the touchdown where Brady uh, has an interception in the red zone early. They get a lot of punts. They give up for, you know, they had the Texans had 276 yards on the day. They got a lot of stops. They didn't make big plays. What I saw was Deshaun Watson and, uh, Jordan Aikens making a play and Kenny Stills making a play and Duke Johnson getting singled up on Kyle Van Noy. And I just saw better athletes winning their one-on-one matchups because they were better on those plays and they deserve to win it. A lot of the times the Patriots blitzes were getting home and Watson was just too good. And I, I think that's like uh, good offense is going to beat good defense. I don't look at the Patriots defense any differently. I look at a Patriots offense that I have been saying that I think has time to round into form. And I think that's still true. I mean, you they think they will. I I mean, it depends what form is good enough to win playoff games. I think that's absolutely possible. But they have four weeks left. I mean, a year ago at this time, they were also losing to the Dolphins and the Steelers. We've seen so many teams over the years, over and over, this happens to us, that teams stink in December and they win the Super Bowl. So if you're a Patriots fan just trying to manage the season, they want to get to that bye. They need to get the bye. The one seed's going to be tough at this point. But if they can get whatever it is, they, they win two or three of the last four games. They probably need to win three of the last four games. If you beat the Chiefs, you're probably going to get that. You're in good shape. You beat the Chiefs at home. You got at Cincinnati, home Buffalo, home uh, Miami. But who knows? The Texans also... You know, if they could play well enough, could maybe they could run the table and they, they have a tie break. When the Patriots lose, they tend to lose convincingly. I mean, they got blown out three times last year. They've been blown out twice this year. Uh, it's not like totally out of their character that we've seen it. Well, the, the, team, the Patriots team we've seen in the loss to Baltimore, the barely winning against the Eagles, barely winning against the Cowboys, and losing to Texans in convincing fashion cannot be counted on to go into Cincinnati and just win the game. I no, don't think that. I think if they their schedule has helped them a lot this year, whereas if they had a tougher schedule, they might be a more normal record like eight and four, which again isn't like isn't the end of the world. I do think that there are pieces here, but you're starting to run out of time. You threw the ball five times to Sanu. You thought maybe he'd be an answer, fourteen yards. You threw it six times to Dorset, who was in one on one coverage a lot, fifteen yards. So they're really struggling to find like where is this offense coming from? And if you have a pretty bad offense offensive line, which they do right now, when you play the better defenses and the Chiefs have a pretty good pass defense, like it's going to be tough. You're going to need turnovers and you're going to need to be in Foxborough most likely. I just haven't seen Tom Brady this frustrated right. in regular season games like this consistently week after week. And there were a series of flags on the offensive line that are not characteristic for the Patriots. So it isn't just, you know, you have to fix one position group. There's a lot to fix. Do I trust any team more to do it than the Patriots? Obviously, it's every year they do this. We get it. But I, something feels I, a little is, different with Brady. It is different. We also Brady. said we thought it was different last year. The difference this year is it's offense. And I, ne- and I always trust offense more than defense. And the offense is like nothing we've seen in the, in the Belichick era. Uh, again, though, like the teams that get the bye, it's just – it's just a three-game tournament, and then it's your matchups, and sometimes in the Patriots have gotten some breaks over the years of, you know, they get to play the championship game even when they're not the one seed, or a certain matchup falls away. There's a lot of ways you can get lucky, but right now, unless they get a lot better, they're going to need to get lucky. Let's play a fun game. Um, I asked Erica, and even though she's a Patriots fan, she did do it, so that was she's a pro. I asked her to go, cut the Patriots radio network 
highlight of that trick play by the Texans. Now, if the Pats did that play, Zolak would be hollering like a madman and saying, warm up the buses and all that stuff. Will we hear from Zolak uh, during this call and the immediate moments after? Oh, Will yeah. you hear his voice? Yeah, we'll hear him down a beer probably. Have you heard this yet? I have not heard it. I, I think so because like, I'm assuming that he realizes that's part of his job. I don't think it's going to be as <laughs> oh, wild and vociferous, but you know, yes, I think we'll hear his voice. I, this, is the very, this is the literal definition. I predict radio silence <laughs> from Zolak. Greg? Let's hear it. Uh, silence, I guess. Okay, let's hear it. Watson, he hands it off to Johnson, who then gives it to Hopkins on a reverse. He pitches it to the right corner. Watson, who dives to the pylon. Did he get in? Deshaun Watson celebrating with his teammates. The pylon knocked over the officials with a less than emphatic signal, and the Texans have added to the lead. (laughs) You see this one again here. A little razzle <laughs> that, that makes sense. That's Ooh, close to that's, a forward pass. That might, from, be, that might be coming back. Donnie Corrente, <laughs> the referee, has given the Texans Over. the go-ahead. I almost think that both sides are right, that we did hear from him, but yeah. to your point... It was not yeah. like, oh, wow, what great trickeration, warm up the buses. No, it was, ooh, I think we got jobbed on that one, fellas. <laughs> mm. <laughs> hey, hey, Ricky. Also, yeah. a tweet from you sent during the game. Uh-oh. <laughs> Belichick looks more disappointed than when I gave my dad's new Mercedes a car wash and used the mop to reach the roof, causing the metal bar to scratch the entirety of the car. First of all, that sucks. Yeah. But a bit of a flex that you grew up with Mercedes in your driveway? Um, No, I didn't think of it like that. I thought of it more of like my dad was so upset when I tried to do this nice thing for him. Yeah. Life example. Um, And it made if it was just his Toyota Corolla, it wouldn't have right. been it as big a of a deal. Car. It was it was a Mercedes. And I was like, I'm going to give my dad a secret car wash. And I reached on top of the roof with the mop. Mm. And you know how there's the metal bar that like holds the mop to the stick part of it. Yes. And I just scratched the top of my dad's new Mercedes back and forth. And secret car wash. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to be nice and like do it something for my dad. And, That's thoughtful. Yeah, what I, was your punishment? Or did he think it was such a nice act that he saw he didn't care about the scratch? Oh, no. I had to buy him a new Mercedes. <laughs> you, were, you were like Nikhil Harry. He was like, ooh, I'm going to surprise Tom Brady with this special new route I'm going to run. And then <laughs> just not be there. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> the only Mercedes I've ever been in is when I was like parking valet cars for the rich people at the top of the hill. No doubt, Dan. We doubt. We believe that. I said, the, wow, you could have leather in the interior? <laughs> mm. Unbelievable. Do you need a car wash, Dan? <laughs> I mean, if there's any, if there's any four people who have overcome more in life, yeah, than it's us, just, I mean, I don't think you know, could find them outside of you know created narratives spun from fiction, you know. Um, all right, so good stuff. We'll be back on Tuesday with a podcast breaking down all what's happening around the NFL. That's what we do. Then we'll have a show Thursday. A Thursday night show, and the wheel goes round and round. Thank you to everybody. Uh, let, and also, again, uh, rate us five stars and leave some comments on Apple, uh, the iTunes client, uh, whatever they call it, the podcast client, and soon we will read some. Mark will read them, actually. I like Mark that. will curate the entire project. Give him something to do. I'll at least read them. All right. Let's go. Stan Hans is signing up. Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss. I, it sounds like all these guys had Mercedes growing up. Like, yeah, must be nice. I mean, not, no one, none of us did, of That's course. What are you talking about? Tuesday. Our family.
I'm lonely, I'm lonely, make it all go away, hey, hey, make it all go away, hey, hey. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.